Chapters twenty two and twenty three of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty two. In some, ambition is the chief concern. Not very long did Sir Aubrey keep silence as he and Sylvia stood side by side beneath those tranquil stars. There was one point upon which he was very anxious for enlightenment. Your father, when he honoured me with his confidence last night, appeared to me to take a very correct view of Mr. Standon's position with regard to yourself, Miss Carew, he said, coming to the point with the straightforwardness of a mind accustomed to dictate rather than to obey. You are too charming a young lady to enter any family which refuses your respect and affection. But fathers are apt to contemplate these subjects from a common-sense point of view, forgetting how far a daughter's feelings may be involved in the matter. I, I hope it is not so in this case. I hope you go with your father in his rejection of Mr. Standon. Sylvia's heart beat very fast. Why should Sir Aubrey ask her such a question? unless he meant to ask a still more particular question by and by what could it matter to him whether she cared or did not care for mr standon and how should she answer him to tell him the simple truth to tell him that edmund standon was very dear to her and that she had sworn to be faithful and constant in her love for him come weal come woe this was clearly her duty her duty at once to edmund and the sacred cause of truth but to do this would be to put an end to sir aubrey's very evident infatuation to destroy that splendid possibility which shone before her dazzled eyes to-night and sylvia had not acquired her ideas of life from a teacher who attached much importance to abstract truth the lessons her father had instilled were hard lessons taught in bitterness of spirit he had taught her that to be happy meant to succeed in life that poverty and contentment were incompatible that to miss the one brilliant possibility which every life offers is to embrace ruin every pretty woman has her chance he had said to her if she knows how to wait for it now sylvia's chance seemed to have come after very little waiting fortune the winged goddess stood by her side she had but to stretch forth her hand to detain her yet nothing was easier than to scare the bright stranger away she deliberated before answering sir aubrey's question and then with bold equivocation made a reply which committed her to nothing i cannot help approving of my father's refusal i have no wish to be looked down upon by mrs standon looked down upon i should think not cried the baronet indignantly looked down upon by a provincial banker's widow you who are fit to be a duchess but never mind mrs standon he went on with some slight hesitation her insolence is not worth thinking about the question i would venture to ask is whether mr standon the young gentleman who gave you that book has won your affection this question was too direct to admit of an equivocating answer sylvia must either tell the truth or wrong her lover by deliberate falsehood happily neither man nor woman becomes altogether base in a moment she could not pronounce that direct untruth which policy counselled she would not forswear herself utterly but in her reply she was only half true yes she said softly edmund and i do care for each other a little only there are so many obstacles in the way of our marriage that that you have both come to the conclusion that it is wisest to abandon all thought of it cried sir aubrey eagerly 
i understand no said sylvia edmund is still anxious that i should marry him but i you see the folly of such a marriage yes and i am too proud to accept mrs tandon's sufferance then i may venture to conclude that your heart is not deeply engaged asked sir aubrey earnestly sylvia sighed if she had ever had a heart it was surely given to edmund standon she remembered that thrilling voice with its low tender tones those dark grey eyes with their fond protecting look the sense of peace and security that her lover's presence had ever brought her the deep trust which his trustfulness inspired hard to resign such gifts as these which did at times even to her selfish soul seem sufficient to make life sweet she sighed and those thoughtful eyes surveyed the italian garden the park that surrounded it the little old church in the dell the expanse of meadowland she knew that far beyond the limit of her gaze the land belonged to sir aubrey Perriam. she recalled that succinct lecture upon the extent of his wealth which her father had given her that evening could mortal love or truth at best an uncertain quantity weigh against these positive possessions could she for a moment hesitate if fortune offered her in one hand the heart of the man she loved and in the other Perriam place and perhaps ten years hence when my good looks are on the wane and my temper is soured by the struggles of poverty i should discover that edmund had grown tired of me she thought looking at the question in its varied aspects but i love him but i love him urged her heart i love him and i cannot surrender his love the stars shone down on the italian garden faunus and the dryad glimmered whitely athwart orange trees that had scented the air when henry st john paced those straight walks with his friend sir godfrey Perriam. it was a fair scene which sylvia's enraptured eyes surveyed yet it was but a mess of pottage after all against which her will genius tempted her to barter that fairer heritage a woman's honour tell me the truth pleaded sir aubrey had this mr standon won your heart she could not answer no but here coquetry and equivocation came to her aid we had only known each other three months when he went away she said and had not met very often in that time then your heart is not engaged not very deeply in fact i have hardly considered whether i have a heart but i think i had better remind papa how late it is sir aubrey mr Perriam's interesting conversation may make him forget that we have an hour's walk home you need not walk home i have ordered the carriage to be ready for you at ten give me one more half-hour miss carew there is another question that i should like to ask you yes even to-night it may seem strange and sudden but when a man has once made up his mind there is no reason why he should hesitate he stopped feeling that he had rushed almost blindfold to the brink of a frightful precipice a gulf from which the plunge once made there could be no retreat he stopped and drew breath as it were upon the very verge of that dire abyss but for the runner who has rushed headlong to the edge there is no possibility of recoil sir aubrey had but time to perceive his desperate position ere he was over the brink is it possible he said that this girlish heart unawakened by a youthful lover could be touched by the deeper devotion of a man long past youth sylvia there are impulses against which it is vain to contend 
spells that all the wisdom of a ulysses is weak to break from my dearest girl i think that i must have fallen in love with you that afternoon in the orchard for your face has haunted me from that hour to this and i know that life henceforward must seem barren to me if you refuse to brighten it sylvia gave one wide look that took in all the splendour of Perium. she had turned her back to the church in the dell and the mansion stood before her a little way off in all its solemn grandeur the smooth lawn shining like the still bosom of a lake between the italian garden and the broad stone perron this was offered to her this the finest house she had ever seen by the grandest gentleman she had ever heard of there was no one in headingham whose mind was wide enough to conceive greatness beyond the greatness of sir aubrey Perriam. there was a choking twitch in her throat her eyes filled with tears the tears of pride and triumph only in a dream had she ever before felt this swelling sense of victory she turned to sir aubrey and tried to speak but no words would come that overpowering sense of gratified ambition stifled her in that moment edmund stanton was absolutely forgotten sir aubrey perceived her agitation and was deeply touched by it had she been unmoved he would have thought her unworthy of his love this emotion bespoke a chord which trembled in unison with his own deep feeling he was not without the power to touch that fresh young heart sylvia will you be my wife he asked briefly not being practised in the arts of a lover it would be too great an honour for me sir aubrey she answered her voice trembling a little she was thinking of those headingham fine ladies who had looked her down with their cold repellent stare who had condemned her unheard could fortune really mean to raise her to a pinnacle from which she could crush them with her scorn the mere fact of her elevation would be a supreme revenge she thought of the homage eddingham would offer to lady Perriam, and edmund standon remained absolutely forgotten what would the world say sir aubrey she asked what would the world say except that i was happy in winning so peerless a wife i have been perhaps too much the slave of social rank but you have broken my bonds beauty such as yours would make any man a radical the world what need i care for the world if i am happy a man's home is his world that uneasy sense of what the world outside his home may be saying of him is the weakest of all the vanities that ever civilization inspired in the human mind let my home be isolated as the wigwam of the savage so long as it is happy sylvia is there any hope that i can win your regard how can i do otherwise than admire you when you are so generous and noble she asked softly a very little while ago she had called edmund standon noble and generous because he was willing to surrender a fortune for her sake but sir aubrey who was able to make her mistress of parian place seemed still more generous and noble will you be my wife sylvia pleaded sir aubrey with deepening earnestness i am willing to trust a time to give me your love i do not think one so gentle and innocent can long withhold her heart from a husband who must adore her if i can trust the future dearest to bring us both happiness will you not trust it too yes she answered not withdrawing the hand he clasped but with her gaze still fixed on yonder mansion upon whose smooth facade the shadows of the cedar branches looked like funeral plumes 
it was parium place she accepted rather than sir aubrey better for poor edmund that he should make himself a pauper for my sake she thought as her lover's image cast a sudden gloom athwart this brilliant prospect and for the moment she really believed that in accepting sir aubrey's offer she was acting generously to edmund standon and that solemn promise by the tomb of the de Bossonies, that promise so firmly believed in by her absent lover lighter than thistledown weighed that sacred vow in the balance that held the wealth of parium and all the pride and power that went along with it sir aubrey held that little hand in his wondering vaguely at himself and the change in his scheme of life he had not intended to take this desperate plunge his plan had been to make himself thoroughly acquainted with sylvia and her father before committing himself in any manner and lo it had needed but the magic of night and starshine to betray him into this foolish precipitation he felt that he had been rash almost to madness he felt that he was exquisitely happy sylvia he said gently if you can give me one tithe of the love i feel for you we ought to be the happiest couple in the west of england sylvia thought that as lady parium it would be impossible to be otherwise than happy mr carew and mr parium had perambulated every walk in the italian garden by this time the bookworm still prosing about that wonderful dutch horace a book which was really the veriest dirt in the eyes of accomplished bibliopoles but which poor mordred deemed a treasure above price the schoolmaster listened patiently to the particulars of this bargain how mr parium's eye had been caught by an advertisement in the bookseller how he had written to the second-hand dealer and how the dealer had written to him all related at much length and with numerous discursive additions very patient was mr carew for he had an eye upon those two figures by the stone vase and he felt that his time was in no manner wasted but when the stable clock chimed the half-hour after nine it seemed incumbent upon him to make some movement so he reminded mr parium how late it was and the two gentlemen bent their steps towards yonder group my dear sylvia have you any idea of the hour asked mr carew this beautiful garden and sir aubrey's kindness have beguiled you into forgetfulness we have a longish walk before us the carriage is ordered for ten said sir aubrey i could not think of miss carew walking home come in and take some refreshment carew he gave sylvia his arm and they went back to the house which now shone upon them with a cheerful light in its lower windows not the vivid brightness of gas but the mellow radiance of lamps and wax candles the saloon which sylvia had only seen dimly in the dusk was now illuminated by a pair of moderator lamps innovations which sir aubrey had submitted to under protest and half a dozen yellow wax candles in a pair of silver candelabra of the corinthian column design by this soft light the room looked its best no colour predominating where every hue was mellowed by time pale greys and sombre crimsons melting into each other doors of darkest spanish mahogany such a room as a painter loves sylvia felt somehow that sir aubrey's saloon lacking all the luxurious inventions of modern upholstery was yet infinitely more splendid than mrs toynbee's brand-new drawing-room upon whose decoration as the lady exultantly informed her friends no expense had been spared there must have been a rood of looking-glass in mrs toynbee's room vast panels of glass from floor to ceiling reflecting all the distracting twists and convolutions of the gilded chairs and tables the brassy modern boule the french china the bohemian glass 
the crimson satin the mother-of-pearl photograph albums a room which gave visitors a headache while in the parium place saloon the eye reposed as in the shade of summer woods once in a fit of condescension or in that expansiveness of spirit which seizes some women when they have a new acquisition to display mrs toynbee had asked sylvia to come and see her drawing-room and sylvia had reluctantly accepted the patronizing invitation she had surveyed those brand-new splendours and wondered from what wild chaos of the artistic mind upholsterers had evoked the designs for those serpentine chairs those rickety coffee-tables and plaster-of-paris pedestals for flower-pots which looked like gilded lamp-posts sylvia had duly admired the toynbee drawing-room and had been regaled with a stale macaroon and a glass of sherry which tasted of sulphuric acid and cayenne pepper she had not forgotten the room nor the condescension which had prompted its exhibition she recalled both now with a curious smile when i am lady Perriam, i will ask mrs toynbee to come and see my drawing-room she thought there was just time for some light refreshment of wine and biscuits and a certain pound cake upon which the Perriam housekeeper prided herself before the carriage was announced there had been time too for sir aubrey to engage his new friends to dine at Perriam on the following tuesday sunday is a leisure day with you i suppose carew he said meditatively he had been thinking that the sabbath would seem long and dull to him if he could not see sylvia no sir aubrey i am not my own man till late in the evening i have to take the school to church dear me yes to be sure said the baronet a little startled that school business was decidedly unpleasant he had almost forgotten it while he was talking to sylvia in the starlight he escorted his guests to the carriage an old-fashioned lemon-coloured chariot in which his father and mother had ridden but the vehicle though ancient had been carefully preserved the drab damask lining was spotless the cushions luxurious never before had miss carew sat in such a carriage good-bye said sir aubrey holding sylvia's hand with a lingering pressure while the coachman looked around to see how long his master meant to stand at the carriage door good-bye i shall call upon your father on monday the chariot drove away and sir aubrey went back to the house slowly thoughtfully the glamour of sylvia's presence was hardly gone from him when he awoke to the consciousness that he had done a desperate act he did not altogether regret the step which he had taken he was proud to think that sylvia had accepted him but he had a dimly doubtful feeling like that of a purchaser who has just bought something he is not very sure of wanting the object was a bargain perhaps and yet the buyer might have been as well off without it what will mordred say he asked himself as he went back to the saloon and beyond mordred was that outside world which he had affected to despise a little while ago on yonder terrace mordred sat near one of the lamps turning over the leaves of a quarterly and utterly unsuspicious he looked up as his brother came into the room and in his mild dreamy face there was no indication of curiosity a very intelligent person that mr carew he said rather superior to his position rather superior i should think so indeed returned the baronet almost testily any one can see at a glance that the man is a gentleman by birth and education i wonder how he comes to be a village schoolmaster remarked mordred in a speculative tone because the man is evidently a fellow of your stamp 
one of those dreamy intellectual sybarites who would be content with any position in which they are not required to exert themselves what would become of you do you suppose mordred if you hadn't an income and perium to live in do you think you could attain any higher position than mr carew has secured for himself i dare say not answered mordred meekly but it must be tiresome teaching boys thank providence i'm not obliged to do it what do you think of miss carew asked sir aubrey from the shelter of his armchair at the other end of the room the young lady said mordred as if he had just remembered the fact of her existence the young lady who came with mr carew rather a pleasing young person i should think pleasing sir aubrey's goddess of beauty his madonna after raphael his venus after titian summed up in the vapid epithet pleasing after this sir aubrey was in no humour to tell mordred anything better perhaps to keep his secret till he and sylvia were actually married let people be as much astonished as they pleased afterwards they could be married quietly some morning by license giving no one more than a few hours notice of the fact and they could be in paris before people began to wonder sir aubrey was particularly anxious to escape the wonderment which this somewhat eccentric marriage was likely to occasion twenty three mrs standen is inconsistent sylvia said not a word to her father about sir aubrey's offer during the drive home nor had mr carew the faintest suspicion that the affair had reached a crisis he had been supremely satisfied to note the main fact that sir aubrey admired his daughter and had trusted that time might ripen admiration so decided into love but that the lord of the manor would offer his hand and fortune to this obscure maiden after having seen her only four times was something beyond mr carew's wildest dream and here the schoolmaster may have shown himself somewhat deficient in knowledge of human nature for to give sir aubrey time for the ripening of his fascination into affection would have been also to give him time for those prudent reflections which must occur to the matured mind of middle age it was only while the glamour was upon him that sir aubrey was likely to forget rank and race for the sake of this new fancy and the glamour was strongest while the fancy was newest satisfied with what he deemed the steady progress of sir aubrey's flame mr carew forbore from questioning his daughter they drove home almost in silence and sylvia left her father in the parlour with a brief good-night once safe in her own little room she flung herself beside the bed where her wretched mother had knelt two nights before and for the first time in her life wept a flood of passionate tears the sense of her treason had come upon her in all its fullness during that silent homeward drive she felt herself the basest and falsest of women she was half inclined to think that all the splendour this earth could give would be worthless to her without edmund yet through all she never contemplated the possibility of retracing the step which she had taken of asking sir aubrey to release her from the rash promise of to-night no she wept for her absent lover and wept for her own infidelity but she meant to be lady perriam all the same remorse gnawed her heart but she held steadily to the new purpose of her life she would reign in triumph over the people who had slighted her she would win all that made life worth having broken and feverish were her dreams that night during briefest snatches of slumber one moment her lover's reproachful face was before her and in the next the stately front of perriam place she was standing in the italian garden under a starlit sky 
but it was edmund standon and not sir aubrey who stood beside her she awoke from such a dream as this with an iniquitous thought sir aubrey is almost an old man he may die before many years are over and i may marry edmund after all what pride what happiness to make edmund lord of Perium! she forgot that family estates are apt to be entailed she fancied herself sole mistress of sir aubrey's lands and wealth giving all to her first lover and cradled by this bright dream sylvia sank into peaceful slumber just as the birds were beginning to sing she awoke in a frame of mind that was almost cheerful though that haunting image of her jilted lover still pursued her after all it was better for him that was the argument with which she strove to pacify the humanities of conscience he may marry miss rochdale she said to herself once but that idea was too keen a torment she could not entertain it no he will be in no hurry to marry she thought but he will live with his mother and be a country gentleman he is made for that to reduce him to a clerk's position would be shameful cruelty it would be selfishness in me to accept the sacrifice his generosity rates so lightly and how can i doubt that our marriage would result in unhappiness he would regret the sacrifice when it was too late and after an absence of three months his love will have cooled a little perhaps she reflected with a regretful sigh altogether what has happened must be better for both of us however dearly we may have loved each other papa is right fortune comes to a woman only once in her life she must be worse than foolish if she rejects it it was sunday sylvia hated sundays the perpetual church and sunday school had no charm for her she knew the bible history by heart and was beyond measure weary of those bible stories whose unsurpassable grandeur is somewhat lowered in the minds of those who hear the sacred volume drone through sunday after sunday by the harsh voice of schoolchildren in a level high-pitched ball and then sunday exposed miss carew to some mortification from the exhibition of new gowns and bonnets on the part of young lady teachers those young ladies seemed to have something new every sunday if they could not dazzle the gaze with a new bonnet they could generally exhibit a neck ribbon a pair of cuffs a parasol or a collar which had been on view in ganslein's window a day or two before sylvia only saw those splendours from the outside of ganslein's plate-glass for her sunday never meant new clothes but to-day how different would be her feelings when those insolent hadinghamites flounced past her in their sabbath finery how proudly she would return their scornful looks strong in the thought of the new dresses that she would wear as lady Perriam. looked at from this point of view her elevation seemed almost too bright a dream ever to be realized in the face of that little headingham world she became altogether worldly the eumenides ceased to torment her with edmund standon's image she thought of nothing but her triumph over headingham it was on this subject that her thoughts ran all through the morning service the dresses she would wear the parties she would give her continental tours all those glories of rank and state which might be hers as sir aubrey's wife the service which generally seemed long to this impatient spirit seemed brief to-day so splendid were those visions of the future i shall come to headingham church on sunday mornings when i am married she said to herself it is all very well to have a church of one's own in one's own park but i should like the headingham people to see my dresses 
a little thrill of remorse or compunction stirred her heart at the sight of the dean house pew where she had been wont to see her lover's tall figure and handsome head every sunday many a look had she stolen in that direction in the sabbath days that were gone many a tender thought had she sent towards that faithful lover and now her love was a thing of the past with one sudden wrench she had plucked it out of her heart but even in the first flush of triumph her heart seemed empty without that banished love there sat mrs stanton in her accustomed seat with miss rochdale at her side both dressed with that extreme correctness which is apt to irritate the temper of less happy females who are conscious of various imperfections in their attire mrs stanton's rich silk dress maltese lace shawl and white bonnet with spotless plumage were provokingly new and neat-looking her honiton collar was adjusted to perfection her pale lavender gloves had not a wrinkle even her prayer-book looked as if it had just come from the binder's hands and miss rochdale's costume had the same vexatious neatness the fresh-looking muslin the fashionable sash the dainty little white tulle bonnet with mauve pansies sylvia locked her lips with that resolute look of hers as she thought how she would quench the modest light of these provincial toilettes when she was mistress of parium it is worth while breaking my heart to be revenged upon them all she said to herself as a little choking sensation came into her throat at sight of edmund's empty place she was sitting by the open window after church listlessly turning the leaves of werther and thinking how edmund had told her that his love for her was as sudden and as strong as the passion of that unfortunate young german when she heard the rustle of a silk gown and the click of the garden gate she started up from her seat feeling that something was going to happen and with a shrewd guess as to what that something was she had been paler than usual all that morning but she grew paler still at the thought of what was coming yes she had not been mistaken it was mrs stanton who had opened the garden gate she was sailing up the little path in her spreading silk dress followed by esther rochdale sylvia fancied there was a condescending air in their very walk they looked like a queen and princess who had come to visit a peasant girl her face ashy pale just now flamed crimson as the door opened and mrs stanton and she stood face to face i saw you at the window miss carew so i didn't knock said edmund's mother in a tone that had a certain stately kindness esther went to the girl and took her hand and would have kissed her had there been the faintest encouragement in sylvia's face but there was none the blush died away and left the face pale once more sylvia drew a chair forward for mrs stanton but uttered no word of welcome i thought you would like to hear our latest news of my son said mrs stanton looking keenly at that alabaster face but perhaps you have had a letter by the same post that brought me one from southampton we can hear no more till we hear from st thomas edmund will write from there before he goes on to demerara in the intercolonial steamer mrs stanton was not displeased by that pale look in the girl's face she had a deep feeling at any rate and mrs stanton reproached herself remembering how she had condemned this girl as shallow and frivolous yes said sylvia i had a letter from southampton dear letter her first love-letter she had shed happy tears over its pages and already she had betrayed the writer a deep sense of guilt and shame came upon her as she stood before these two her judges perhaps pray sit down said mrs stanton with lofty kindness i came on purpose to have a little talk with you 
i promised edmund that i would come and see you while he was away you are too good replied sylvia sitting down and picking up werther which had fallen to the ground just now you were reading when we came in said esther who felt the conversation was coming to a deadlock yes i hope you have some nice sunday books remarked mrs standen directing a suspicious glance at werther which had not a sabbatarian aspect i hate sunday books replied sylvia frankly or at least most of them i rather like Echiomo. edmund lent it to me a little while ago mrs standen cast a horrified look at esther they had both heard of that book and read paragraphs about it in the newspapers and were dimly aware that it was not orthodox and that edmund should have lent an unorthodox book to his betrothed was enough to curdle their blood i am sorry my son reads books of that kind still more sorry that he should lend them to you said mrs standen i will send you some nice books to-morrow is that a novel in your hand it is a story replied sylvia a german story oh said mrs standen concluding that a german story must be some harmless tale of the hobgoblin species that is hardly a nice book for sunday edmund ought to have been more careful in providing you with really nice books i had finished my education before i had the honour to make mr standen's acquaintance said sylvia with scornful lip she was not going to be lectured like one of the school-children she the future lady Perriam, how she could crush this domineering woman by the simple announcement of her engagement to sir aubrey but she felt that any statement of the fact to-day would be premature she had to retire from the old engagement with dignity before she acknowledged the new one it is a common error for young people to think they have finished their education when they have acquired a smattering of a few subjects said mrs standen severely in my time education was more solid we learned slowly but we learned well sylvia gave a little impatient sigh had they come here to catechize her however i did not come to talk about education continued mrs standen as if divining the meaning of that sigh i came for a little really friendly talk i have no doubt you are aware miss carew that i have been strongly opposed to this engagement between you and edmund yes mr standen told me so a time has come however when i feel that further opposition would be both unkind and futile i do not say that i revoke my decision as to the disposal of his father's fortune sylvia's heart gave a sudden flutter what was coming now but continued mrs standen i wish to feel as kindly as possible towards the girl my son has chosen for his wife and if time should show me that i have been altogether wrong in my ideas i shall not be too proud to change my mind and to make a fair division of the estate which i now think of bequeathing entirely to my daughter a fair division thought sylvia with supreme scorn that means seven hundred a year genteel beggary as compared with sir aubrey's income and that only on condition that i give satisfaction to mrs standen and suffer myself to be dictated to by mrs standen for the next twenty years of my life sylvia's ideas of a competence had expanded since she had thought fifteen hundred a year a noble fortune mrs standen thought she had made a great concession by this speech she looked for some token of gratitude from sylvia but there was none the girl sat silent for a few moments thinking deeply 
it seemed to her that the time had come in which she could creditably withdraw from an engagement which had now become embarrassing it is rather an awkward thing to be engaged to two gentlemen at once and even sylvia's well-balanced mind was hardly equal to the situation you are very good mrs standen she said with wonderful self-possession and i am glad to find you can act more generously than i had supposed you capable of acting after what your son told me but do not you think that an engagement which can never give more than partial satisfaction to you which interferes with your former plans with a brief glance at esther and which begins in loss to edmund had much better be broken off what cried mrs standen with an incredulous look but sylvia went on calmly while edmund was here his influence was strong enough to govern all my ideas i could only see things as he saw them but since he has been gone i have had time to think dispassionately i told him more than once that our engagement was an unlucky one for both of us i am very sure of it now and so mrs standen with many thanks for the hope which you are good enough to hold out of future clemency i return you your son's freedom do you mean this miss carew asked mrs standen now as pale as the girl herself she was as angry with sylvia for this readiness to give up her lover as for her capture of him no she does not mean it cried esther impulsively she would not break edmund's heart and it is bound up in her she loves him as he deserves to be loved it is false pride or mistaken generosity that urges her to surrender him she cannot help loving him when he loves her so dearly you are too hard on her auntie speak the truth sylvia confess that you love him i do answered the girl with passionate emphasis but i will never marry him i will not enter a family that despises me no one despises you auntie tell her that you don't despise her i should despise her if she were false to my son said the mother sternly all thought of her own prejudice her own instinct was for the moment banished she thought only of edmund and the wrong done to him i will not enter a family that would receive me on sufferance i will not be the means of impoverishing the man i love you will not marry an impoverished man said mrs standen you had better state the case correctly miss carew you have always chosen to think badly of me mrs standen returned sylvia without flinching you will no doubt continue to do so even though the decision i have arrived at is one that must cause you satisfaction you have opposed this engagement with all your might i now release your son from it what more can you wish i could wish you had a better heart miss carew have i a bad heart because i refuse to accept your son's sacrifice if you loved him you would think only of his happiness which is most unfortunately dependent upon your caprice there is no caprice in what i am doing poverty is a hard master and has taught me to know the world better than your son i am wise enough to know that he would repent his self-sacrifice by and by when it would be too late my father refused his consent to our marriage the day edmund left i thought him cruel and unjust then i know better now and pray what has brought you so much wisdom miss carew said mrs standen who had risen and drawn near the door and stood there in a haughty attitude ready to depart esther lingered by sylvia with a friendly hand stretched out to her now and then as if to restrain the rash impulse that might destroy all her hopes reflection answered sylvia without a blush 
and am i to write and tell my son your heroic decision am i to tell him that you have chosen the very moment in which i had reconciled myself to this union for your renunciation of him you need tell him nothing answered sylvia with a strangled sob i will write to him myself then i have nothing more to do than to wish you good morning my first and last visit to you is ended sylvia cried esther entreatingly you do not mean this you are acting from passion from false foolish pride you do not know how good and true mrs standon is how well her love is worth winning even if it must be slowly won for your own sake for edmund's unsay your rash words you own that you love him with all my heart said sylvia white to the lips then you cannot mean to give him up i do mean it it is best and wisest for us both i do mean it then i have done with you said esther with more passion than was common to that gentle nature i leave you to be happy in your own way they left her and sylvia sat like a statue staring blankly at the ground and with those last words sounding in her ears End of chapters 22 and 23